All right, let's turn in our Bibles to Hebrews chapter 12. And just to get us started, I thought I'd just give you a brief recap of what we did last week, what we covered last week. Last week, we said that there's not just the physical realm, but there's the spiritual realm as well. And we believe as Christians, the Bible clearly teaches that there is a place, an invisible realm where our enemy and our advocate operates and it affects the spiritual world. But we have a spiritual enemy uh, called Satan and he seeks our destruction. And so we talked about who he was or is and what he can do and what he cannot do. And I would encourage you if you missed that to go back and catch up from last week. You can go to our YouTube channel or through our website or I think there's a podcast even on your phone and you can check that out. But the premise of this series is this. We do not wrestle against flesh and blood. We wrestle against the evil, the powers of this present darkness, against the spiritual forces in the heavenly realms. And what we said last week was, um, when we kind of borrow from the illustration of, of the kind of the military being battle ready, any military commander will tell you that intelligence is necessary, it's vital to victory. And so we talked about what we needed to know last week. We, we need to know our enemy, we need to often know ourselves, because sometimes we're our own worst enemy. So we need to know ourselves, but more than that, we need to know the one who knows us and our enemy better than we ever could. We need to know Jesus Christ, and it's not just know about him, it's have a relationship with him, to know him. And he calls us to know him. In fact, in Matthew eleven twenty eight, 28, it says, come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take upon me, or take upon you and learn from me, for I'm gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest in your souls. And to come into a relationship with Christ, I wanna remind you that there is a catch. There is a cost. He calls us to come to him and he, will, he promises rest for our souls, but it means that we have to give him control of our lives. We need to be willing to lay down who we are, who we think we are, and take on the identity that he has called us to live in. And that's his very identity. In fact, a lot of times we say it this way as Christians, I want to be in Christ. I want to live in Christ. And that means to take on his righteousness and he sees he covers us with his righteousness. And when we're not perfect, we've sinned, we've fallen, we're broken. But if we come into a relationship with Christ, the Bible says that he sees us as righteous. That's a pretty amazing thought, that he sees us as right before him. And it's not because we've earned it, it's because he's freely given it. Uh, Tim Keller, if you've been on social media, you've probably seen a bunch of different things about Tim, Tim Keller recently because he just passed away a few weeks ago. But I saw a clip that he said, um, uh, he was talking about this idea that the Christian identity is the only identity that is received, not achieved. For every other identity in the world, whether it's your job or, or whatever, you have to earn it. You have to earn your, your stripes on the, the field of competition in the business world. It, you've got to work for it. And you've got to earn it. Christianity is the only identity that's freely received. It doesn't have to be earned. And so Jesus Christ offers us that freely today. But once we, once we step into a relationship with Christ, then there is a journey. James talks about like this, once there is faith, works must follow. Jesus said it like this, if you abide in me, there will be fruit. 
So there is a difference, there is growth, there is change that should be present, visibly present in the life of a Christian if we are pursuing Jesus. And that's what we're talking about today because in the context of spiritual battle, we understand this concept. We know that we need to prepare today if we're going to have success tomorrow. Anybody try to take a trip, a vacation? Maybe it's just like an outing to the park, okay? Um, You've probably done a, a few of those things and and maybe you've prepared for some and not prepared for others. Which ones go better? The one you prepare for. And sometimes when you prepare and you give attention to detail and you still forget something, how frustrating is that, okay? It's so frustrating. I went fishing uh, about a month ago, got, drove an hour out to the river, the place I wanted to fish and forgot my boots. So I'd wear tennis shoes in the river. Yeah, I made it work. I wasn't gonna go all the way home and not fish. Are you kidding me? But that'd be crazy. But when you prepare for something, you plan and you, and you take, and, and we, we do this all the time. We do this in our, in our everyday life. We prepare for tomorrow uh, by doing stuff today. How many procrastinators in the room? Anybody a procrastinator? You are my people. Uh, thank you for being willing to raise your hands. Um, I, as I've grown, I, I've, I'm still a procrastinator. I've just learned to move up my deadlines, okay? And I still just procrastinate to the last minute of that, that deadline. And that's just sort of how I'm wired, I guess. But at the same time, it has, I, I have learned as I've matured and as I've become a father and, and have more responsibility, if I don't prepare well, it greatly impacts my ability to succeed tomorrow. Now, the same is true in our, in our spiritual walk because there's some of us sitting here today that we have spiritual battle. There's temptation, there's, there's bad habits, there's, there's things in our lives that we know are unhealthy and we go through this cycle where there's ups and downs, there's victories, there's losses and there's, and there's sometimes a, a bit of discouragement where it's like, man, why am I still dealing with this? Why can't I get over this? Why can't I break free from this? And Dallas Willard, um, uh, he's passed away now. He was a professor at the University of South Carolina. He wrote a bunch of different books on the human condition. And he was a great Christian man. And he wrote a book called The Spiritual Disciplines. And in that book, he laid out the simple concepts. Like I can't just like pick up, I don't, I don't, I play guitar a little bit, but I've never played the violin, cello, anything like that. If I expect to play one of those instruments, I can't just pick it up and start just performing for you. I've got to prepare, I've got to practice, I've got to receive training, I've got to receive some instruction. And then through a process of hard work and, 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 and probably over a long amount of time, I can maybe get to the point where I can play that instrument. Maybe some of you men will understand this. Like football season, we're in the off season, you watch your favorite team and how many of you holler at the TV and you, you like criticize the guy that did it wrong, okay? Like, why do he make that throw? Why did he go that direction? And the implication is if it was me, I would have done it better. And so, um, but the reality is you and I know that if I were to step on the field without any time in the weight room, without any time studying the playbook without any coaching, if I stepped onto the field and tried to play running back or quarterback or whatever, I would get destroyed immediately. Can we all agree with that, okay? 
And for me to have any amount of success, first of all, I need to play like division like seven because like I'm too little. But the other part of it is we know that to be successful in those arenas, there has to be some form of training. There has to be some form of preparation. And in the spiritual realm, I think we forget this all too often. We just kind of just walk into our fight with the enemy and we expect to win when we have not done any preparation. I'm getting a little bit ahead of myself, but sometimes I think we think that, okay, I have faith in Jesus Christ. I've come into relationship with him. And from here on out, I just step on the escalator and it's just gonna carry me to the top. I don't have to move. I don't have to do anything. I can just stand here and my faith and, and God's grace is just gonna carry me to the top and I'm gonna just automatically grow without any effort, without any participation in that process. And I wanna remind you that the spiritual life is not an escalator. We say, we say out here in the, at the Next Steps Hall, we're here to help people unite with Jesus and take their next steps. The spiritual life is stairs. It's not an escalator. And, and our faith gives us the ability to follow Jesus and he gives us everything we need. But to take those steps to actually follow him is our responsibility. And as we do that, there's a process that we call sanctification which is a biblical term that we, we, the way we say it around here is, is becoming more and more like Jesus every single day. And, and the other word that goes right along with this is the idea of discipline. And so when, if we're gonna prepare for victory tomorrow, if, we're gonna, if we want victory tomorrow, we have to prepare and discipline ourselves today. So let's read in Hebrews 12 and let's get an idea of how this works in the spiritual realm. Hebrews 12, verse one. We're gonna read a lot of scripture. It's gonna be on the screen and then I'm gonna to refer to it as we go through some application. It says, therefore, verse one, therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight. Just a quick pause. Who is to lay aside every weight? That's us. Lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely and let us run. Who's doing the running? We are. Let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who gives us the ability to run this race. Jesus. Who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. The motivation here is not picking ourselves up by our bootstraps and looking within and garnering our, our, our own, summoning some sort of strength or will from the inside. We're looking to Jesus and we're looking to him. Uh, this is just a side note, but I was studying the, the, a couple of words, motivation and inspiration. Motivation comes from within, inspiration comes from the outside and the, the root word of inspiration is in spirit, right? And so God's spirit in us, maybe that's a good way for you to remember this, God's spirit in us is our, it's basically what drives us, okay? And we look to him, we keep our eyes on Christ and he is the one that gives us the desire and the ability to, to run to run this race. Verse four, in your struggle against sin. Notice how there's just an assumption that we're gonna struggle. 
in your struggle against sin, you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding blood. And have you forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as sons? And then he quotes, my son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor be weary when reproved or corrected by him. Verse six, for the Lord disciplines the ones he loves. Who does the Lord discipline? Those he loves. Any parents in here? Any parents? Okay. I hope as a loving parent, you discipline your child. And we're gonna talk about more about what that means, but what happens if a child does not receive discipline? Have you, have you seen a child that has never had any discipline? <laughs> Everybody, I don't have to define it for you. The picture that just came in your mind, okay? Children need discipline. And so we're gonna talk about more about what that is, but here's verse seven. It is for discipline that you have to endure. God is treating you as sons or as his children. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? If you, if you are left without discipline in which you all have participated, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. In other words, if you're not receiving any correction from the Holy Spirit, if you don't sense that in your life, maybe your first step is to begin the relationship with the Father. But for those of you who are sitting here and you're like, I am in relationship with God, you're, you should expect correction, or might I say discipline from the Father. It says, besides this, we have, we have had earthly fathers who disciplined, who disciplined us and we respected them. Shall we not much more be subject to the father of spirits and live? For they disciplined us for a short time as it seemed best for them, but he disciplines us for our good that we may share in his holiness to become like him. Verse 11, for the, moment all, for the moment all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant but later it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those have been trained by it. Therefore, lift your drooping hands and strengthen your weak knees. Who, do, who does that? Who lifts, who lifts and strengthens? We do. And make straight paths for your feet. Who makes the path straight? We do. So that what is lame may not be put out of joint, but rather be healed. Who does the healing? God. So there's a clear, there's, there's two sides of this coin when it comes to discipline. God, first and foremost, he is, he is disciplining us. And that, and, that, and that means he's speaking to us. He's correcting us. He's guiding us. He's educating us. But the other side of the coin when it comes to spiritual discipline is that we need to receive the discipline of the Lord. So what is, so what is discipline? Now, um, to keep in, kind of keep in theme with our military, we're kind of using the military concept as a way to illustrate this. Anybody Anybody heard of boot camp or basic training? Okay, the goal of the army, when you, whatever branch of the military you join, the first thing you do is you go to boot camp or basic training. And for 10 weeks, they wear 18 year olds out. It was always funny to me, uh, there, as a youth pastor, uh, there was this kid in my youth group and he, for whatever reason, he did not like to do anything that his parents asked him to do. The rules at home were just oppressive in his mind. And so all the rules and restrictions, and he's like, I am so tired of my parents telling me what to do. I'm, as soon as I'm, I'm 18, I'm gonna go join the army so that nobody can tell me what to do. And I had the same reaction you did. And I was just like, do you know how this is gonna go? Let me prepare you. 
So um, I've, I, I didn't serve in our military, but I've, I've seen the videos of like, you know, those training exercises and like those guys are put through it. And, and I talked to Jason Moore, one of our guys that attends here about his personal boot camp. And down in San Diego, San Diego, they do the Marine Corps training. And he said, we did what they called sugar cookies. So they'd roll you in the surf, get you all wet, and then roll you in the sand so that sand would stick to you. Then back in the surf, back in the sand, back in the surf, back in the sand. And as you're doing this, you're thinking, what, how is this training me for combat? How, what is this doing? How is this translating to my role in, in the military? But what was, if you just think about it for a second, we can all understand this. What those drill sergeants were doing was instilling fortitude, mental toughness. They were preparing them to endure hard things. In fact, one of the th reasons why I would just be out as a Marine is I read somewhere that they take these guys during that, that 10 week boot camp, and uh, I think this is Marines only, um, they take them out to some island where it's a known, known grounds where like a known place where great white sharks are just in, like infested in the waters. And they make them swim at night through the ocean for like two miles or something. And I'm like, Ding, 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 I ring the bell, I'm out. Like, I'm not doing that. And they tell these guys, they're like, hey, we've never lost anybody to a shark. Nobody's ever been attacked by a shark. Like, there's nothing to fear. If you do see a shark or sense there's one around you, just face up with it, stand your ground and he'll leave you alone. None of that would help me, okay? Like, I would still be out. But it's not, they're not training those guys to swim with sharks because they're gonna swim with sharks they're trying to instill in them confidence, some fortitude, some, some, some disciplines that will benefit them in the days to come. And what God wants to do for us is sometimes, let's be honest, his correction, his instruction to us, it may not make sense to us in the moment, but he sees something that we cannot yet see. He understands how it will translate into our real world lives. And he calls on us to trust him and trust the process of discipline. Now there's a word here, uh, the word here in this chapter, um, and I'm probably gonna not say this right, paiduo is the Greek word for discipline. And it carries with it the, the instruction or education of a child. And so the heart of God is, this is not a spiritual spanking, okay? This is a correction. The process of God disciplining us is for our instruction and for our education. The that's the, in the Greek language, there's a, a masculine and a feminine uh, tense to the same word, and that's the masculine. The feminine carries with it the meaning of nurturing the meaning of nurturing. And we've all probably, if, if you're married or you have kids, you understand this. Like the dad is just like typically like, hey, do this. No, like no grace, black and white, follow the rules. Boom, this is, and then mom is like, oh, sweetie, come here, honey, let me hold you. Let me care, you know, like that's the nurturing. Then there's the instruction and in the, in the, in the discipline. And there's both, God does both. He instructs, he guides, he disciplines, he corrects, but he nurtures. And it's in the context of a father 
parent-child relationship. Now, as a dad, I told my kids, they're sitting over here, I said, you guys get to be in the sermon today. I'm like, are you excited? And they're like, yeah. Well, I'm gonna enjoy that while it lasts because they're gonna be teenagers soon and they're gonna hate me for it. But they do provide some good source material for sermons. And as a parent, I, uh, I thought of this and um, a couple of years ago, when they were much younger than they are now, they're seven and nine right now. And um, so uh, a few years ago when they were you know, still pretty little, but they could walk, whenever we would go somewhere, my wife and I would tell them now, whether it's a church, Walmart, store, somewhere, we're like, okay, when we get there, we're gonna be in a parking lot and there's cars. You guys cannot run out in front of us through the parking lot. Now, for adults, this is a simple concept. We know the dangers of a parking lot to a little child. They could not see that or understand that. And fortunately, I'll just tell you right up front, we never had any close calls. There was never any like scary moments, but there were times when my kids would get out of the car and we had told them, there were times I even told them on the way to the destination, okay, we're gonna get there. There's gonna be a parking lot. When we open the doors and get unbuckled and you get out of the car, you're not going to go anywhere. You're gonna stay right with mom and dad. Got it, we, we know, okay, great. As soon as their little feet would hit the blacktop, pow, they take off running. And there were times more often than not, I never, I, I prompt, don't judge me, okay, but I'm gonna be honest with you. So I would not just be like, oh, excuse me, oh, Landon, oh, Carly, uh, can I please have your attention? I know you're busy, you know, like, but can I, can we just have a little chat? Like, I didn't do that. This is more in line with what it was, it was like. It was, Landon, Carly, stop right now. And to any other person around, and, you, and maybe hopefully you got it, there was a tinge of anger in that. There was some passion in that. And it's not because I am angry at my children and I don't like them, it's because I love them. And I knew that there, and, and there were times where I didn't have, I didn't take a scan of the whole parking lot. Is there any cars coming? Uh, I, I don't see any, okay, uh, they'll probably find, you know, like. I didn't do that. I didn't check around. I understood the element of danger and I passionately got their attention. So not only did I do that, but there were also times where I would feel checked, like, okay, they, I probably scared them. They probably did think I was angry with them. So I would get down on their level and i say, guys, do you know why daddy yelled? Do you know why daddy hollered your name? Do you understand? We're in a, and they would invariably, no. I'm like, okay. <laughs> okay, well, let me explain. I'm not angry with you, but I want to remind you, where are we? We're in a parking lot. There's cars. They can't see you. You're too little. They can't, sometimes it's hard. I'd explain all the things. That wasn't just a one-time conversation. It, w it, took, it took some time. Now, to, they've gotten older and they understand this and they've dealt with the passion a little bit and... Uh, we don't have that issue anymore. But as they grow, there will be things as a dad where I will say, hey, you cannot do this. And our Father in heaven loves us so much that he will, he will get our attention. And he, it may be a small, still voice of instruction or it may be a voice that's, that gets our attention a little bit with more passion. Why? Because he loves you. He loves you. 
and uh, he sent his son to die for you and he sees what often we cannot see. He sees the danger and if you're flirting with something or if you're involved with something or someone and you shouldn't be and God sees the danger, he sees the destruction, he knows the bridges out on the road you're walking down and he's not going to always just say, oh, excuse me, can I? He'll be loving, he'll be kind, but for those he loves, he will correct because he doesn't want to lose you. He doesn't want you to destroy what could be. And there's a concept here, and I'm not talking about losing your salvation or, or losing your security in heaven, but there are times when our choices will have consequences. Sin will always bring destruction. And the warning from our father, the discipline of our father is, I don't want that for you. Now, the other side of the coin is sometimes people think that, well, if, if I'm in Christ, then he makes all my problems go away and I don't need to do anything. No, there's gonna be, there's some participation. So let's look at four things from this passage that help us understand what biblical discipline is. First of all, what we see in verse two uh, and also verse six, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, and then down to verse six, it says the Lord disciplines the ones that he loves. So right here, I wanna make sure that we understand this right up front, the discipline of the Lord, both him giving it to us and for us receiving discipline and correction from the Lord, it's rooted in devotion to Jesus Christ. That's your first point. Biblical discipline is rooted in devotion to Jesus Christ. It's, it's out of love. So often, if we're not careful, if we just turn this into works and spiritual activity, this can, and, and Jesus is not the motivation. He's not the inspiration if it's just about trying to avoid trouble or avoid destruction, it, this can easily turn into what I would call legalism, which is just going through the motions, checking the boxes. It's empty spiritual activity if it's not in relationship with Christ. If you do not love the Lord and you're not desiring to follow him because of that, then it's really, really difficult to be a Christian because all the things that are required by scripture, if we're just gonna do that in and of our own free will, if we're gonna love God perfectly, love people perfectly, that doesn't happen unless he has changed our nature. And so when he has, once he has changed our lives and he has forgiven us of our past and given us a new identity and we step into that relationship, then my desires become more like him, but I'm motivated to follow him out of a devotion. This is not just me working really hard with my head down and just, I hate every second of it. It's rooted in devotion to Christ. He has to be the center and the object of what our aim is. Does that make sense? Okay, secondly, uh, biblical discipline, uh, a characteristic, uh, characteristic of spiritual discipline is that it grows and gets stronger with time. There's some verses in here, specifically in verse seven, it talks about you must endure. You must endure. Christ, I already mentioned this, but Christ says, if you abide in me, and I, as he is the vine and we are the branches, we will bear much fruit. This is not just a one-time moment. It's not just, not just some, some spotty service or goodness or good works here and there. 
This is a process that begins on a smaller scale and it grows and gets stronger over time. Back to kind of the military thing. When you do physical training, boot camp, you start out push-ups, pull-ups, sit-ups, and all that. I can't do a pull-up to save my life probably, okay? Maybe one. But it would take some time for me to gain some strength. And if I were to start out and do as many push-ups as I could for you here on this stage, it'd be a little embarrassing. But if I committed to that, over time, my ability to, to grow and be stronger over time would increase, right? We understand that. And one of the realities of our spiritual walk with God is that it goes against our nature to step into the spiritual things of God. It's not our natural appetite. It's not our natural desire. For example, reading the word of the Lord or, or praying um, and spending time in prayer with God, those activities do not come to us naturally by and large. It's kind of like, you know, those acquired tastes over time. Any coffee lovers in the room? Okay. When I first drank coffee as a kid, I hated the taste. Now I drink it like virtually every day. Sugar and fat helps, but I drink coffee a lot and I like it. And I'll drink black coffee here and there. Um, vegetables, green beans. I hated those things when I was a kid. Now I love them as an adult. Cheddar cheese, smothered them, smothering them helps. But I like, I like things that I, I love things that now as an adult that I did not like as a kid. And as I've matured and grown, um, my tastes have changed. Spiritually speaking, it's the same. When you begin to, 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 to have spiritual activity in your life, it will not seem natural to you at first. And I would say, I would encourage you, don't try to climb the mountain in one leap or bound. Start small. But your tastes, your desires will grow and change over time. You will find yourself desiring more and more the things of God as you commit to them and intentionally put them into your life. And so that's the second thing that should characterize our spiritual disciplines. The third thing is that spiritual discipline leads to, uh, uh, requires your effort and participation in the work God is doing. I've already pointed this out, but we are the ones who are to lay, a lot, lay aside our sin. We are the ones who are called to endure. We are the ones who are called to run. And as I said before, this journey is not just an escalator. I don't get to just sit back on my couch, eat Cheetos and ask God to take care of all my problems. And, and, and God will lead us to a place of reward, but we need to participate with him in that process. I wanna share with you a, a brief story. There was a man who attended here for several years. His name was Adrian Rapp, and he's now moved to Oklahoma with his family. And I mentioned the broken arrow team that's going down to New Mexico. He's actually driving over with his son uh, to meet our team in New Mexico and serve with our team this week down in New Mexico, which I think is super cool. But... Um, when Adrian left, um, one of the last things he invited me to do that I refused to do with him was run a half marathon. I was like, no, I'm not doing that. I can't. I ran two miles and broke my knee. And I was just like, this is not happening. Now, go five years prior, maybe six years, I'm not sure exact of the exact timeline. When Adrian first came to our church, he was in a wheelchair. And it wasn't because he was handicapped or crippled or, or anything like that. He had made some horrible choices as far as his health and his nutrition. And he had become, uh, he had been on painkillers and stuff like that. And he just, his muscles and body was so weak that he actually just found himself living and existing all the time in a wheelchair. 
In fact, I think it had been several years that he had actually walked on his own when he first came to our church. And when Pastor Keith preached a message about going all, going all in with Christ, he committed that morning to do just that and he stood out of his wheelchair for the first time. Now, it wasn't that God had miraculously healed him because he, his strength, it was all he could do to stand and then he sat back down and he, he left church in his wheelchair that day, but he committed that he was going to change the way he was living. So he changed his diet. He began to try to, to, to work out. He began to take some steps and it was very, very small at first. But by the end of five years, he was running 13 miles. I would take him out to lunch or breakfast. I would get like a cheese omelet or something. He'd get egg whites and something. I mean, he, had, he was more disciplined than me in his, in his physical, the way he was taking care of it. But you know what he said? He said, God has healed me. God gets the credit for this. He's given me the ability to do this. And Adrian participated in the work that God was doing in his life and he found healing and he didn't take credit for it. God got all the credit for it, but God gave him the, the, the awareness, the education, the inspiration. And, and I would say some of the men in our church inspired him, discipled him, walked with him through that journey. God did a healing work in Adrian's life, but he participated with God in that work. Does that make sense? And some of you are sitting here today and you're wrestling with something and maybe it's physical, maybe it's internal, maybe it's spiritual and you need healing, you need restoration and God wants to lead you to that, but it's gonna take your participation in that process. And that's the final thing. Biblical discipline will lead us to a place of healing and restoration or reconciliation. That word reconciliation is used throughout scripture and it literally means to put things right. We're made in the image of God, but sin has broken us. Sin has distorted us. It's, it's deformed us. And when Christ does a healing work in our life, it's the goal is to set us right again. And discipline will lead to this place, but it may not be in an instant. It may take a, a process and some time, but it's, and it's God who does it, but it's as a result of our participation with him. I wanted to end with this thought and um, this is sort of the key thought of today. And, and, and I guess maybe this comes out of my own experience in my own life because I've, I've been raised in a pastor's home and I've always known, um, I've had a love for the church and I've always had a love for the Lord and I've always been familiar with the scriptures and, and the story of Jesus and, and, and his work uh, on the cross for me. I've always been familiar with that. So I guess that where I come from is I tend to land on the legalistic side of things where I'm going through the motions. I know that I've got all the lines memorized. I didn't even try, but they were just imparted to me through repetition, just being in the church all my life. And so one of the keys for my spiritual health is for me to not worry so much about trying. It's trying, it's training over trying. Does that make sense? And I want us to take these words and use them to help us because I don't want anybody to walk out of here with, just with this idea of, well, I gotta just work really hard to become what God wants me to be. There is some effort, but it's not just trying. It's training. And the difference between the two is, is that trying is focused on becoming a better version of myself. And it's, and it's all self-focused. But training 
it, it, has a, it has an outward focus. And in, in spiritual terms, it's, it's training that is focused on partnering with God to make us more like Jesus. Jesus is who we're, is our focus. He is the model for us. He is our inspiration. He's our motivation. It's not something I pull out of my own gut. It's a direction set by him and I have my eyes fixed on him. I don't know if any of you have tried to work out or go through some sort of workout regimen, but you lose motivation really quick when it's just your own willpower. It's a whole lot easier in that process when you're with friends or you have a clear goal in mind and you stay committed to that goal. And so this is, again, I wanna remind you, it's not about just trying really hard and just failing. We're gonna set Jesus up as our example. He is our focus. He is the center of this. He is our inspiration. And we're gonna, we're gonna run after him. So what does this mean? Matt, you haven't really given us any spiritual disciplines. What are you talking about? Well, I'm gonna give you three simple ones that it's kind of Christianity 101. And so if you've been a part of our church for a while, this won't seem new to you, but I think it bears repeating because there is no replacement for these things in our lives. No amount of Christian knowledge, no amount of church attendance, no amount of like, it doesn't matter how many songs you have saved on your playlist that are worship songs. These things are vital to your Christian health, your well-being. And the first discipline is to, to make the word of God a priority in your life. There's no replacement for that. And not just parts of the word of God, all of the word of God. And just coming in on a Sunday morning and hearing me or Pastor Keith or someone else teach the word of God, that's good, but that's not enough. This needs to be personal between you and God. And the reason that the word of God is important to be a part of your life every single day, it's the primary way that God speaks to you and I. His revelation, if I can say it this way, his revelation is complete. God has said everything that needs to be said. And if you go back to the Old Testament, they didn't have the manuscripts, they didn't have the scrolls, they didn't have the Bible like we had today. And so he used prophets to speak to the people and his revelation was ongoing. Jesus Christ hadn't come yet. And then even after Christ had come and died and rose and, and ascended, there was a still a, a new covenant that needed to be communicated through the apostles. But for you and I today, his revelation is complete. And so if we want to hear the voice of God in our life, it's imperative that we're intentional about taking in scripture on a regular basis. Now, if you miss a day, don't miss. If you miss three days, don't miss four. I skipped one. If you don't miss, if you miss 10 days, don't miss. God isn't up there keeping track and ranking you on how many days or how many verses or how many chapters or how much time. But so often, especially in young people, they'll come to me and say, Pastor Matt, I can't de determine if it's God speaking or my own feelings and how do I discern between the two? And I ask them, how often do you read the scriptures? How often do you read the Bible? The more you read the word of God, the more and more you will recognize his voice in your own thoughts and your own feelings. So read the word of God, there's no replacement. And I can't explain this entirely, but you will read passages that have to do with like maybe um, 
financial stuff or whatever, and it'll give you power in your parenting. Or maybe you'll read about like something about wisdom and it'll give you strength or endurance for a completely unrelated area in your life. There, uh, there's a mystery to it, but there is, uh, here's what I believe. The, the word of God is living and active. It will not return void in your life. And there is no replacing the power and place it should have in the life of a Christian. If you want power, if you want victory in your life, this needs to be a part of your everyday regimen. The military, they do their push-ups every single day. These are kind of like your push-ups. And if you miss a day, don't miss two. Secondly, prayer. Prayer, not only do we talk or hear from God himself, not only does he speak to us, but he calls us to talk to him. In fact, one of the things God loves is for, for us to come to him regularly with the things that stress us out, that frustrate us. If you need somebody to vent to, vent to God. And sometimes there needs to be some, some, some structure around this and, and we're gonna teach about this a little bit next week, but prayer is not often easy for us to step into. And so don't, again, don't feel like, well, if I don't pray for 15 minutes, I'm not a good Christian. If you can, if maybe start with two minutes, start with one minute, start with five minutes, whatever it is, God's not up there keeping track of the time. He just wants you to talk to him. Try not talking to your spouse for a while. How does that relationship go? Even the person that doesn't like to talk will eventually go, we're not talking. Is there a problem? Like communication, again, this is a relationship. This is not religion. This is relationship. God's talking to us talk to him. And then thirdly, worship, the discipline of worship. Music, worship songs is a good tangible way to guide you through this, but it's more than music. It's, it's, again, it's again telling God, I honor you. I thank you. I, I praise you for what you have done in my life. And it's not that he's an insecure God that needs to be reminded of how good of a job he's doing but it orientates our heart, it changes our heart and it helps us become in line with him and it puts things in perspective. How many of you need a perspective adjustment every once in a while? You read a few headlines and you're just like, here we go again with this whole presidential thing. Okay, it's too far, sorry. <laughs> that was in the flesh, scratch that. I, I need to take that back. But when we need those adjustments, I like that song, I think it's Casting Crowns that's saying, I will praise you in this storm. There are some things that, that come at us and, and the antidote to those, those pressures in our life is to worship and to just be reminded of who God is and that he's in control. It's a tangible, easy way to do this, five, five, and five. Five minutes in the word, five minutes in prayer, five minutes in worship. And here's what you will find as you start to make that a regular part of your day, it will grow and you will find yourself longing and hungering after those times with the Lord more and more and more. And you'll look back into your past and you'll say, okay, I didn't, I didn't know this would happen, but and I attended for it too. I didn't know how this would all look, but here I am a year, six months later, and my life it looks completely different. I'm more like Jesus than I've ever been. I have security and peace more than I've ever, ever been. He, it may not be, I'm not saying that there's gonna be checks that drop into your mailbox and it's like all your financial worries go away or there's never gonna be problems, but there's going to be peace and security through the struggles of this life. And we're gonna have confidence in tomorrow because we've prepared today and we're confident we're gonna have victory tomorrow. And he's gonna get the glory for it all. Amen.